seven days a week. Smodco Internet Television pumps out new content like a porn star. On Mondays, Comic Head pummels you with profanity-laden comic book reviews. Tuesdays, Smarchive takes you into the Wayback Machine with great moments in Smystery. Wednesday, Jay flexes his journalistic prowess with Muse News. Thursday, things get animated with the Smodco Cartoon Show. Friday, Kevin and Jen bring you the morning show and tell straight from their living room. Saturday, relive a hilarious clip from Jay and Silent Bob Get Old. And Sunday, Kev and Ralph goes Holly Weird on Bit O Babble. Smodco Internet Television. Bookmark us, bitch. YouTube.com slash CSMOD. Smodco is on the road, and here are the latest dates. June 9th, Kev and Jay hit the Albuquerque Comic Expo. Also on June 9th, Ralph and a special guest host will babble the fuck on at the Lovitz. June 14th, an evening with Kevin Smith at the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival in Chicago. The remaining Saturdays in June, Kev and Ralph skewer Tinseltown with Hollywood Babylon at the Lovitz. July 14th, HBO goes to San Diego at the House of Blues during Comic-Con weekend. August 11th, HBO returns to the Coach House in San Juan Capistrano, California. August 17th, Kev and Moj bring Smodcast to the Aladdin Theater in Portland. And August 24th, Kev and Jay get their geek on at Fan Expo Canada in Toronto. Dates, showtimes, venues, and links to tickets for these and all Smodco shows can be found at csmod.com. For almost two decades, Kevin Smith's been making movies. Now he wants to watch movies with you. On June 4th, Hulu proudly presents Spoilers, where movie lovers like yourself emerge from watching this summer's biggest blockbusters and give your two cents. Think Prometheus will smell like rotten eggs? Can the Dark Knight piss in the Avengers' Wheaties? There'll be special guests, Q&A, and a fuckload of movie love. Spoilers, a new Hulu original series coming June 4th. At Smodco, we're all full of shit, and we want you to buy our shit. View askew shit at redbankstash.com. Smodco shit at smodcast.com slash smerchandise. No shit. Team Jack, episode 32, Guilty Displeasures. I'm Jack Morrissey. I'm Greg. Yolen. <laughs> Matt Cohen Hello. is over on the knobs. He's already uh, told me that he's probably not going to talk that much today because what? why Matt Cohen? I'm all talked out. Really, Matt? No, it was a long weekend. Yeah. What's that mean, Matt? I mean, What's the hardest that meant? The hardest that meant? What's the hardest that means? Nothing bad this week. I'm just fucking tired. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. All right. Four beers in a session? Nothing that hard. That's not bad. Oh, he, black, he black has tar, no Black tar heroin to my balls? Oh, if other than that, though. <laughs> it's a family tradition. It's weird. <laughs> black tar over Memorial Day weekend? Exactly. <laughs> we gather around, we gather family, around the grandkids maybe. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And um, back with us this week, as promised, Steve Henges. Hello, hello. Um, Hi, Steve. Greg? Steve and Greg meeting Hello. for the first time. 
So weird. Can you imagine? In the same room together. Yeah, yeah Steve's usually on. We're literally making eye contact right, right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's very intense. That disproves a lot of theories about how you never saw them in the same place at the same time. That's true. <laughs> one looked at the other with glasses on. Might I add, I'm the only person here who has brown eyes while we're talking eyes. Y'all are wow. freaks. <laughs> and you're... Come on over to the dark side. <laughs> Um, Eugenics, dude. <laughs> all right, so let's just take it right where we left off. Pick up right where we left off. Um, when last we accompanied our gallant crew, we were discussing movies, movies that we love, even though we feel like we shouldn't, so-called guilty pleasures. Uh-huh. And then we decided we would go right into uh, Attack of the Worthies, movies that everybody loves. They've been nominated. They've won. You're supposed to love them. The reviews are amazing. The Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic scores are through the roof. Mm-hmm. And yet. <laughs> and yet somehow every time you put them on, your eyes begin to close. And... Well, it's more than that. It's more than just being indifferent to them. It's it's You really loathe them. Oh, okay. Hate yeah. these fucking This movies. is what you put when your kids are bad. This is what you, instead of putting them into the room, this is what you make them watch. I see. Attack of the Worthies. Nothing's worse than a worthy, a worthy movie that believes it's worthy. Well, let's just get the ball rolling. Do you want to start? I don't know. Hold on. I can start because I'm not going to talk much. Oh yeah, Cohen's not going right. to talk. Cohen today. wants to start and I'll then take throw, his I'll chocolate throw, milk and his little uh, we'll do, carpet we'll square in the corner. And I won't even defend them. I'll just throw them out into the ether and I'll fucking walk away like the guy at the party who just drops the mic or whatever. Okay. Ready? Godfather, all three parts. <laughs> <laughs> Good fellas. You did not listen to last week's episode. You would have seen some of this coming, Yellen. Good fellas. <laughs> oh uh, the Deer Hunter, <laughs> Apocalypse Now, <laughs> 2001 A Space Odyssey. Keep keep riffing, man. Keep riffing. <laughs> this is gold. Uh, Schindler's List. Well, no one laughed at that one. Says Matt fuck? Cohen. Yeah, I'm allowed to say that one. Um, yeah, Jews are allowed to not like Schindler's shit. List. Uh, Jews are <laughs> Jews are basically the only people allowed to not. That's like actually true. List. Yes, <laughs> Braveheart. Braveheart. I'm going to go with you on Braveheart. Yeah. All right, we got one. Although, except yeah. that I think Braveheart's an interesting example because I don't hate Braveheart, but I certainly don't like it. I actively loathe. Godfather, Goodfellas, Apocalypse Now, fucking well, uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Matt, it really can't be restated enough. You're a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just throwing them out there, man. I mean, you, you love The Godfather. Part th- I understand part three. Part three is, is a hurtful film. But parts one and part... You hate those I don't movies. Like Why don't you save your hate for shit that deserves to be hated on? That is the most unbelievable... Like, 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 like Republicans or Nazis or something. Like Wherein that. we discover in the world of podcasting, much like television and film and theater, conflict is drama and drama is conflict. Get out of my apartment! <laughs> Good stuff. Thank you, sir. I just wanted to get the ball rolling a little bit. Don't drop the mic literally. It is, after all, your mic. I won't. Yeah. Uh, th- those that. were movies that I hadn't seen when I should have seen, probably. Right. Like formative years or whatever, right. and and saw them all as kind of a a version of the adult I am now, if you can call me an adult. Sure. And so it was like fifteen to twenty plus years of hype, and then those things, and all of them I think share one common trait, and they're all fucking long and boring as fuck. Well, they all are. They 
They're all over three hours. They're all long. That's for sure. Yeah. Whether they're boring or not, I think depends on whether or not it's you're subjective. even you yeah, even yeah, have yeah. some basic level of interest and in the story the that's being told. Basic and level I don't of like interest or intelligence. I don't like mafia movies. <laughs> like I can't name a mafia. You don't like movie Muppet yet. movies? Mafia. Flat out. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so and where would the Jason Siegel Muppet movie be in terms of the the scale? It's better of, than the God. Oh, it's, films. it's better than the Godfather. Honestly, no, it's not. No, it's out of not. every Coppola film I've seen, and I don't even love the Muppet movie, I would give the Muppet movie. What is it called? How do you have I'm sorry? How do you have patience for the two-hour, 45-minute Southland tales, but Godfather Part 2, that movie is fucking long. Just talking. There are no cars fucking in Godfather Part 2. No. There are cars fuck in Southland tales? See? Cars fuck? Yeah, dude. Absolutely. I tailpipe, take back everything I've said the tailpipe, about Southland tales. The tailpipe comes out and, and grows like labias, and then the other car's uh, bumper has like a dick, and then the car's hump. Uh-huh. It's an ad for a car commercial. And How did like, I not know this? It's like and this is achieved through the magic of special effects. It's all CGI. It's in. It's supposed to be. It's an in-movie ad for a car spot, saying right. in the future we're so degraded that that's what our commercials are. And uh, the tag, I forget the name of the car. Let's say it's like the, a Honda Accord. The tagline is the new Honda Accord coming soon. And then it's just one final shot of the car just fucking pumping. Godfather, what is it? God, cannolis, for the ages. a horse, in, a horse head in a bed. <laughs> That's a, a horse's head, not a boar's head. That's I said a, a fucking horse, ham. I said a horse head. He said a horse head. Oh, a horse's horse head. head. Now, horse don't head just feast on Matt Cohen's remains, See, Greg. I, I, Pull I, yourself will, back. I will eat your spleen for saying that you <laughs> hate The Godfather well, that one seems and, to be and the... Goodfellas and Apocalypse Now and The Deer Hunter. I get it. I don't like Vietnam either. I didn't support it. I wasn't alive, but come on. <laughs> Apocalypse Now is a fucking lasting work of art. That is an amazing movie. Here, and this will, I want to incite the rage meter a little more, and then I'll step away. I okay. own the Redux and have so since like when it came out on DVD. Well, just give it to me then. When I was like 16, maybe 15, <laughs> I have never once made it to Kurtz. Because that's really? at, well, like the hour 35 mark. Have you seen the non-redux? Have you ever made it to Kurtz no, in any version? No, I've never seen Kurtz. Then you, again, you should you should go smoke <laughs> a cigarette right now. And then you should take that cigarette and you should put it out on your fucking eyeball. Oh my God. Come in, folks, that's Matt Cohen for this He week. just said he hated Apocalypse Now, but he's never seen Kurtz. <laughs> wow. I've actually never seen Southland Tales. So, I kind of want to now. So I, I, I mean, there, too. I, yeah, I we, see we it. need to. We need to like come up with a movie recommendation every week or something like that. We need to burn a pile of Coppola films and then watch <laughs> Southland. <laughs> um, How do you feel about Sofia Coppola films? I thought Somewhere was... <laughs> yeah, if you're looking for I a love short Virgin movie, yeah. Somewhere is like 70 minutes long. I love Virgin Suicides. Yeah. And, well, Lost in Translation is a good movie. Yeah. Better than... I do think, though... and. It's weird. I mean, we're we're just already we're off with a weird rhythm because now Cohen's going to go out the door and <laughs> smoke. But I do think there's a lot to be said for, especially this. I mean, less so with guilty pleasures as discussed in last episode, but with worthy movies that you develop a resentment toward or an allergy toward, as mm-hmm. Mr. Connor would say. Um, a lot of that does depend on how hyped and the the level of hype and the intensity of the hype that you're exposed to Absolutely. before you see it. So, you know, a movie like Blair Witch, which I actually saw on VHS tape. Before the hype? Or? Before, before the Sundance screening, okay. I saw it on VHS tape. Totally worked for me, but I, yeah. but I can also completely um, relate to people who choke on it after it becomes that 
Um, it's passe now. The expectations thing. are so high that yeah, it's I want to sit the in Batman a chair. Can I have a chair? In like, a I feel weird. Like all three of us. Yeah, all three of us are lined <laughs> up. I have to keep like looking to the left and right. Oh, to God, God forbid, get you guys. You I know. get a little neck exercise. Here, um, um, one yule and two mice. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's a very special episode. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I'm trying to think now about movies that I have like a real distaste for. Certainly, like to the, with the passion that burns with Matt Cohen's hatred of Apocalypse Now. Should we all just take? Uh, can I just take those on? So, Godfather, Juan Campanella. No, our friend Steve Hedges, my friend, who's now Academy Award winner, to, winning director, Juan Campanella. His... I'm just going to roll through it, Greg, and I'm going to roll right over you. Okay, Made me see the Godfathers one and two at the New Beverly in the old uber uncomfortable chairs. Right. Not a good way to sit through both Anything, those movies but... in a marathon, one after the other. So fucking not a good experience. I have to say, I've, I've only seen them once. I never went back. Um, I think it's okay to be not interested in them and still respect them, though. But it's perfectly fine to have no interest in them. But Same for Goodfellas. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the movies that are great. Well, that's true. He hate hates them. Right. He hates them. Apocalypse Now. I mean, I would say Godfather Two is probably on more top Vietnam ten movie. list than any other film. Godfather Two. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the more than um, something Citizen Raging Kane. Bull. Right, I think there's I think there's more people that dislike Raging Bull than Godfather Two. Right. Um, Raging Bull is a little bit polarizing. Yeah. Um, and again, and there's nothing wrong with ha- having a lack of interest in a movie about a boxer. There's nothing wrong, especially with that. in black and white. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. How dare he? Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But now I have a film that I, this is a film that I loathe. That right. received many accolades. I'll just give you, I'm going to tell you a few are we accolades. Are Matt Cohen's list, by oh, the I'm way? Sorry. Are we, are we, are are we done with ahead? Matt Cohen's list? Completely. Reacting to that list? Completely. Okay. I give him Godfather 3, that's it. <laughs> I mean, probably, you don't really hate it. the Godfather oh, 3. Well, Let's face it, he if, doesn't know what he's talking if about. If the Godfather 1 and 2 didn't exist, no, I wouldn't hate Godfather 3. Yeah. It would just be a, movie i didn't care for but right. because it followed up godfather one and two yeah i i hate it right right because it's just it was made for me that that movie was made for money right um and made badly right and didn't wrap up anything that i'd hoped it would right so it's so sad okay what's your movie all right so i'll tell you a few of the accolades you tell me if you guys can guess it 1990 uh it comes in at a brisk 181 minutes. That's uh, just over three hours. Uh, the director's cut comes in at four hours, which is nice. Uh, worldwide box office of 420 million. Uh, nominated for 12 Academy Awards, won seven, including Best Picture and Best Director. Uh, went on to win the DGA Award, the PGA Award, the WGA Award, the PGA ACE is, Award, the yeah. ASC Award, the Golden Globe, the MBR, and even a Grammy. What won in 1990? Don't cheat, Yolan. I, just, I have it up on my screen, but I've never seen this movie. Dances with Wolves. What? I hate this movie. Really? It, it's. I hated it when I first saw it. I hate it more now that it. Ha- it was so everyone raved about it. I mean, it's. It's to me, it's a mess of a movie. It's like watching paint dry, and I like slow movies. This movie, Steve, I'm in shock. This painful. And did you first see this movie at the Cineplex Odeon Newport Center? Uh, no, I saw this movie and I was still in Texas. That's where I saw it, and I, I was I, I saw this at the theater that I worked at. Yeah. Um, we had a which was the uh, West Oak Seven in the which mall. Was the uh, Cineplex Odeon, or it was the play okay. that had become the Cineplex Odeon? Right. It's now an Alamo Draft House. The devil is in the details That's where right. our sorted history <laughs> in the multiplexes is concerned. 
but we had a private like employee screening at midnight and it was i mean half the employees left really Um, it was painful wow yeah you've never seen dances with wolves craig yellen never and and i'd say not uh i mean it's because i kind of always had that impression that it was like one of these movies that you just like had to slog through yeah Uh huh and I lo- at the time, I loved Kevin Costner because this was after Bolt Durham, which is don't one of my think, favorite movies. Greg, don't you think Steve bears something of a resemblance to Kevin Costner? You look like Costner. Well, okay, yeah. And after <laughs> all, we hate those people who reflect what we know deeply about ourselves but could never admit. There it is. That's what, now I understand my hatred. <laughs> so you, you have a Costner in your dark heart of uh, hearts. Wow. Yeah, and you know, and I love... I actually really loved Open Range, which is another movie he directed. Um, I think that was the last movie he directed. Um, I did not Wyatt Earp. Uh, Wyatt Earp, I like. He didn't I direct like it. Wyatt that Earp. was Lawrence Kasdan. I actually, I'm one of the few people oh, that really loved enough, that movie. He starred in Wyatt. He was Wyatt. He was Wyatt Earp. Lawrence yeah. Kasdan. Yeah. Um, he did uh, The Postman, which is which is the second film, which is not a great movie, but I would watch that ten times over before I would watch um, Dance of the Wolves again. Whoa. 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 So. Whoa. <laughs> Wow. But good score. I'll give it that. John Barry. Great John Barry yeah. score. Um, I remember really, really liking Dances with Wolves. I really liked it. I have never seen the longer cut. The four-hour cut. Yeah. Um, I really, really liked Kevin Costner back in the day. Have you seen... Have you? When was the last time you saw Dances with Wolves? Oh, it's been a good long time. I challenge you to watch it again or try to watch it again. It is... Yeah. It, I mean, it felt dated to me back then. Now it's like every once in a while I'll be flipping through the channels and catch like a couple minutes of it before yeah. I have to run and turn, turn it yeah. off. But it's, it's just so wrong. No, you know what's wrong? Seeing Kevin Costner on a billboard on Sunset for Hatfields and McCoys on the History Channel. I find that <laughs> profoundly disturbing on a number of levels. And then seeing him on the cover of, I think, Parade Magazine and the Sunday Papers talking about like... um what it's like to be in his 50s and it must be toward the upper end of his 50s and remembering Whitney because he's still remembering Whitney months now after the funeral he's still remembering Whitney and I thought he I thought his um eulogy at the funeral was really well done yeah but best thing that was done, sufficient best thing he's done since with wolves. <laughs> pretty much <laughs> <laughs> but it was sufficient we don't need to keep remembering Whitney right um, well until sparkle yeah. Then there will be yeah. some remembrance. Yeah. Wow. Those are going to be some awkward C minuses that are given out. <laughs> um, they, wow. They gave, they gave Dark Knight the big blowjob, and uh, you know, sparkle less so. Sparkle less so. Yeah. I know, I know it's a controversial choice, but uh, that is you know these are movies we're supposed to love. Um, wow. And I. That's really, a good one though, yeah, Steve. Right? Yeah. I didn't see that one coming. Yeah, I must admit. One. Wow. How interesting. And you're right. Gross to fortune. Generally, critically. I mean, 12 Oscar noms. Well regarded. That's good anywhere. I yeah. Mean. Huge, huge sweeper at the Oscars yeah. that year. And he did. He got Best Director, as best you said. Best Director. Yeah. He, I don't, he did not win Best Actor, but he won Best Director. Right. Wow. Crazy. Greg Yolen, do you have yours queued up? Well, I have one. I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to be able to top that one, Steve, because that one's really yeah, that's, interesting. Yeah, that's a good lead It's really um, interesting. I mean... In that vein of Oscar bait, I'm sorry. We're gonna- oh, I just had one more thought. You, you said we should, in terms of recommending a movie, if you want to see a movie that's very much like Dances with Wolves, but uh-huh. I think much better, has the same 
very similar storyline. Return Bruce, of the Sakaka Seven. No, that's <laughs> Bruce Barefoot's Black Rope, which was made a year after Dance with Wolves, so it gets a lot of criticism for that. But I think it's a much better movie. Black Robe. Black Robe. Like priests' robes. Exactly. Got it's it. It's a Jesuit Indians. It's it's a much stronger movie for me. So that's my piece. How like the mission is that movie? Not li- it's more it's more in the vein of Dances with Wolves, but without all the the bullshit. Wow. <laughs> all, without all the pretentious posturing and just you know what you what you re- responsibility for what you place squarely on mr costner's shoulders 100%. or on the screenwriter slash novelist I, michael blake that was that that movie was all kevin costner yeah i mean i don't disagree wow. except, you know the only thing except the only thing it, it wasn't him the best parts of that movie other than the score were the action sequences like the buffalo hunt which uh kevin reynolds directed oh is this that is so? when they were still friends before Waterworld. right oh interesting uh, yeah they'd made fandango together which is a movie that Steve and I, I think feel the same yeah. about. I'm sort of like Mezzo. I mean, most of Fandango doesn't mean that much to me, but the last 10, 15 minutes of Fandango, the actual Fandango, yeah. and then every, and Costner's Toast and all that stuff is so pure, fucking awesome. Pure nostalgia and just so yeah. great. The Fandango in Fandango is one of the three. <laughs> Or four best Fandangos of all Fandangos in... It's not as good as Fandango.com, but it's close. Um, Fandango. Do you have yours? I Just kind of jumping off that in terms of Oscar bait. Um, a Beautiful Mind. Easy. I yeah. can see that. I, I, I'm not a hater, but I can totally support that. Yeah. I hate that movie. Hate it. Hate it for many reasons. Um, one of which is you put Ed Harris in a movie... Uh, and you put Paul Bettany in a movie, and they're the most interesting parts of your movie, and then they're imaginary friends, you're an idiot. <laughs> and then on top of that, it's one of those American uh, late 20th century movies where they have to, where your protagonist has to give a speech at the end of the movie explaining uh, what they've learned over the course of the movie. It's stultifyingly stupid. On top of that, it's incredibly inaccurate about John Nash. Uh, it leaves out Hugh. It really is just like a total Hollywood, you know, hack, Hagi- hack job on him. Hagiography or hagiography? Hagiography. Hagiography. Absolutely. Yeah. They, you know, he's an interesting character, very troubled guy, and they give him a really clean little redemptive arc where, you know, Russell Crowe's in his old man makeup and Jennifer Connelly sitting in the audience and nodding and smiling because he's right. come through all of his problems. Right. And then on top of that, the reason, the thing I hate the most about it is that Ron Howard won the Oscar for it in a, a year when Robert Altman, who is arguably one of like the three or four really important, really important like American filmmakers of the last now you know, deceased. half a century. Now deceased. Yeah. That was like that was him for Gosford Park, which his is a last, much it's kind movie. of his last his last big movie. It wasn't was it? like his last last big important film. Yeah. It's a great film. It holds up and he should have won that. And I remember Julian when, Fellows did win for his screenplay for same and um, then went on to create Downton Abbey. Downton Abbey. If anyone listening is a huge it, Downton Abbey fan, you need to you need to get that Gosford Park. So good. Um but which then, has I the added remember, value of Ryan Phillippe playing gay. Yes. And, What's up? And Scottish. Um, <laughs> gay Scotsman. Uh, and I just remember being even, what was that, 1995? 95 or? Something like that, yeah. Uh, no, I'm sorry. 97. I, I was no, here already. Completely wrong. No, 2001. Yeah, was, 2001. Yeah, much later than that. I actually saw that at um, down in Palos Verdes. But I just remember all these, uh, you know, all the Oscar talk and buzz and everything being about, oh, how it's Ron Howard's year and how he's 
yeah. really had this coming for a long time. And I was like, for fucking what? Well, he should have won for Willow. He should have won. <laughs> he should have won for Willow, obviously. He was robbed. And then I was like, it's Ron Howard's year? How about it's Robert Altman's year? What the fuck? Like, yeah. what institution That's is That's movies, though. Yeah. It's not an institution. It's movies, and it's the movie business, which is, yeah. it's not academia. It's There's always the the popular thing and the, and yeah. the popularity thing. Well, this was just a down-the-middle, dumb-dumb movie, uh, and, like, and so gimmicky. All that shit with the figures appearing in midair. Take that out of your movie. What right. do you have? Right. I mean, a honestly, movie without special effects. A movie with no special effects. <laughs> I don't know. I, that's that's a big uh, hate fest for me. Huh? And an Oscar winner. Interesting. I think the score is is um, minor Horner, but it's it's a decent Horner score. It's minor. Minor Horner. Yeah. Um, mine, which I had a really violent reaction to at the time which i've since probably softened up to and even then i think i'm only softening up to it because of what i think is in there i haven't actually gone back to watch it again and see if see if what i think is in there is actually in there is american beauty Mm -hmm. um we have a friend uh the british character actor michael culkin did you ever meet uh, him, Steve? My first night in Los Angeles. I met, I went to a, I can't, I've been driving for two days straight. Or so, table, and then it was uh, Michael Conklin, uh, Brian Singer. Uh-huh. And it was the, they I, all I, wanted I walk to in, fuck remember, you. The, uh, I don't remember if the head table, not our table, we came in, Robert Ridley Wise Scott. before he passed away, yes. Ridley Scott, Julian Sand, yeah, Ben Kingsley. Night. It was like, yeah. holy fuck, this is what Los Angeles <laughs> is going to be like? Yeah. <laughs> That's what Orso was yeah. for a while. Yeah. It was, uh, and let's just say, I mean, Robert Wise, great, but Ridley fucking Scott. Pretty, pretty fun goal. He was like the next table, yeah. kidding me? Yeah. Eating with Julian Sands. Right, right. Which is an unusual. Julian Sands. <laughs> That's why we haven't seen him in And I re- it was kind of like a tennis match that night, because it was like Brian Singer and Michael going back and forth. That's right. And me just going, you know, just like, who's, yeah. like, who's going to top one another? Michael was, Michael was an actor who Bill Condon inherited in the Candyman franchise when Bill was hired to direct the second movie. Michael was a holdover from the first film directed by Bernard Rose. Michael is quickly dispatched by the hook in the first act. Um, And Michael has just always stayed to some degree in contact with Bill uh, and I. And actually, when we were just over in London last fall to score Twilight Tucker Breaking Breaking Dawn Part 1, we met up with him for a few dinners and so forth. Very, very funny guy. Unbelievably intelligent. Um, His take on American Beauty, which I remember so uh, clearly, was, and I'll deliver it in a a shitty patchwork, Michael Culkin impersonation. Um, He was talking about what he perceived the what he perceived the American movie going, the general American movie going reaction was to it, and his line was. Well, of course, they all come out of the theater thinking that they've just seen art because they've been told that they have. And, of course, they've seen nothing of the kind. Something like that. And that was my strong feeling with American Beauty was that it was it was all pretension and not really anything so profound. Mm-hmm. Um, 
plastic bags floating in in a breeze that are imbued with great meaning. Really, you know, the the Kevin Spacey voiceover. um, From Beyond the Grave. Yeah. Yeah. But more than that, um, that was also the year Spacey won that year. And um, just debating whether or not I'm going to go there or not on this podcast. I think (laughs) I probably won't. But let's just say... um, Let's just say, what are we going to say? I don't know what you're going to say. That movie was written by an openly gay guy, Alan Ball, who went on to create Six Feet Under on HBO and subsequently went on to adapt uh, also for HBO, True Blood. Um, It was produced by two openly gay guys, Dan Jenks and Bruce Cohen, who also did Big Fish with Tim Burton. Um who I fondly remember at an Oscar party years before at your yeah, you're house. Do that? Getting into you're sure it, you could do it. There's getting only into it, getting yeah. into a debate about Armageddon. <laughs> well, do you remember the line though? Do you I don't. I just line? I was so. <laughs> so Bruce Cohen comes to. I haven't. Have I ever told you the story, Greg Gillen? No, no, you haven't. But I want to pick up uh, again when. Okay. So Bruce Cohen. Bruce Cohen starts off as sort of like uh, gets his training wheels at Amblin, mm-hmm. um, working for Steven Spielberg. And Spielberg throws him producing chores on movies that they're producing through their like their deal with Universal at the time. So the live action Flintstones movie, the live action Casper movie, produced by Bruce Cohen, right? I know who he I know who he was when he was invited to our annual Oscar party, which we've not had for many years, but is a Bill Condon tradition. It's the only party we ever put on if we do put it on in a calendar year. Uh, listeners who are interested will should know that that they're they've never not been invited to a single dinner party, a single pool party. There's nothing goes on up at that house except for one Oscar party, which does tend to happen unless Bill is attending, having been nominated or going as someone's producing. guest or producing the show. Exactly. So Bruce Cohen comes to our Oscar party back at the old house, which is in Silver Lake slash Echo Park. And he's standing in the backyard, and um, he's going on about some movie that he's just seen. He's just seen like an early screening of a big movie that's coming, and he was so moved by it. He just found himself weeping um, in the last act, and he was so surprised to find himself weeping. And literally, I, as he's saying this, you could, you could, I'm watching friends of mine all sort of imperceptibly lean in to hear what the punchline is going to be like the old E.F. Hutton commercials, right? (laughs) Including Steve Henges. And then he says, (laughs) Armageddon. (laughs) (laughs) And you could see all of these people, none of whom had any sense that he was working in the business, let alone had produced movies, let alone had produced movies for Steven Spielberg at Amblin Entertainment. You could see all these people kind of look at him like, are you out of your fucking mind? <laughs> you know? Um, so he goes on uh, with his, he goes on to form a partnership with Dan Jinks uh, at the time, the, a partnership that's since dissolved. It's called the Jinx Cohen company uh, during that time. And their first movie, I think like right out of the gate is American beauty. Right. They found the script. They got it set up at DreamWorks. Um, a very young DreamWorks. And, that movie, I know it grossed over $100 million domestically. 
did go on to win Best Picture, thanks in part to the efforts of the head of marketing, Terry Press, Mike Volman, Chip Sullivan, Mitch Croindell, um, and um, Best Director for Sam Mendes, who had never made a feature before. He was a, done a lot was, of theater on right. the West End of London, including Blue Note, right? Uh, Cabaret, yeah. that's right. And um, I think Alan Ball won screenplay. Mm -hmm. Kevin Spacey won actor. Did Netflix. Conrad Hall win? No, for she, she lost to Hillary Swank the first time, and then again a couple years later. Did Conrad Hall win for cinematography? He did. I think and his son accepted it. Or for it. Perdition? Oh, I think it was for Perdition. I, okay. I, yeah. Sam Mendes' follow-up was yeah. Road to Perdition. Anyway, um, the way that the... So it's it's written by an openly gay guy. It's produced by two openly gay guys. And let's just say that is not the extent of the presence of so-called known homosexuals in that production. <laughs> unit. <Jacques -Hughes>. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of whom goes on 60 minutes. I'm going to fucking do it. One of whom goes on 60 minutes, gets the big interview is asked the question about has just been on the cover of a magazine and the, the cover of the magazine has questioned, questioned his orientation like right in the headline. There's some sort of play on words. He goes on 60 Minutes and says, and Leslie Stoll or somebody asks him point blank, so what, what's the truth here? And he says, the line is, um, I don't want to say what I am, but I will say what I am not. I am not homosexual. I am not that. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Right? So, then I call Ian McKellen <laughs> and repeat what I've just heard on 60 Minutes to Ian McKellen. And Ian McKellen is cool as a fucking cucumber as he says to me, uh, well, Jack, obviously, uh, it's a bit disheartening, but I don't uh, get too discouraged because I do believe in my heart that uh, people like that do uh, come to a bad end. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason all of this is interesting is there's a scene late in that movie where the neighbor, Wes Cooper. Bentley's father, Chris played Cooper. by Chris Cooper, comes over and comes on to Kevin Spacey's character. And the way that that is handled in that movie is kind of like a creepy moment out of a horror movie. Horror movie with a bit of with a cue by Thomas Newman in an otherwise famous uh, score, a cue by a cue by Thomas Newman that's very disturbing and plays that confrontation between Cooper and Spacey as sort of a ominous foreboding thing, and you're just like, really. You know, well, and it's ultimately the reason that, even though I know it wasn't this way in the script, that in the movie, that's why he kills him. Yeah. Is he, so it's like, it's like, really, writer, producers, somebody else yeah, in a prominent yeah. position. It's like, <laughs> really, really. That's interesting. Really. But all of that sort of wrapped up. Beautiful photography by Conrad Hall, a, a landmark score by Thomas Newman. Very well directed by Sam Mendes, you must say. But 
it is all, I mean, right from the title on in, any title that starts with the word American is sort of saddling up for, it could be said to be pretentious. Little style over substance. Yeah. Well, Um, I always find that, frankly, with Mendy's. Um, See, I don't, I don't. I actually like Mindy's. I, I, I think that's his weakest film. We um, talked about the Skyfall yeah. but, uh, teaser trailer oh, on last episode. I mean, I think Away We nuts. Go is a is a great movie. Which one? Away We Go. Did you see that? Very simple film. No, you didn't see it. No, your boss likes it. Don't make me watch it. <laughs> your boss likes it. <laughs> don't make me watch it. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was your take on that movie? On American Beauty, you so wanted to come was, back around to it, so that, well, no, that, I've said I my to piece. Come back around to what you were uh, discussing first. So, what year was that? That was uh, 1999. Uh huh. So I was 17 years old. I saw that, and I remember really loving it uh, at the time. Right. And at the time, I was 17 years old. Uh, I I think that that there's something I, I can't say I've watched it in the last 10 years or so. I think I probably saw it, you know, when it came out on video. Uh, right. Immediately after. Right. Um. But, you know, I think that there's something that is sort of uh, an outsider looking in at American culture. And the fact that it's called American, it almost is like a curio of Americana brought to you by a British person. And this is, you know, even even that, you know, famous opening. where it's If like, you're subscribing to the auteur theory and you're just going to lay it all well, on you Sam Mendes' He wins plate. the Oscar on his first out. You have yeah. to give you have to subscribe yeah. to the auteur theory on this. You're flying over these suburbs, you know, the the uh, prepackaged, you know, uh, homes of of America, coming from someone who is a, you know, clearly not from that world, right? And there's something that, in retrospect, is sort of simple about it all. It's it's right. it's played for comedy and it's played broad, and the fact that he starts, you know, transgressing in these kind of like, you know, oh, he smokes weed and now he's got a you know glow poster and a, a dark light in the a black light in the garage and he's lifting yeah. weights and you know he's in love with a cheerleader and but the the gay neighbors are a cliche who go jogging by exactly annette benning is she's wild whoa in movie. Um, whoa and the whole as written directed and performed yeah. and one must whole, say the whole thing with her and peter gallagher and that and that's not a good pretty, whoa on my part either pretty comic i remember thinking it was quite a good comedy like a dark comedy. Yeah. And I don't know if, whether it would be funny to me today. But Didn't you also feel, I remember there was a lot of discussion at the time that the original script, and the only reason I'm, I'm asking you about whether or not you're subscribing to the auteur theory, which is an interesting way of looking at that movie, yeah. looking certainly at the title of that movie, and then from the t- looking at the content of that movie from the title inward, as perceived through the eyes of Sam Mendes, the director, is he didn't write that script. No. So... The script titled American Beauty was written by Alan Ball as a spec script, then found by Co- Jinxon Cohen, and Ball is an American. who then hire Sam Mendes. They're all American. Yeah. Sam Mendes is the only true. N- not American. So I never really perceived it that way. I, and I but, might be wrong. I mean, um, there was there was an interesting little bit of like buzz that went on back around that movie where it did feel. I think when you're watching that movie. Again, because it is because it is called American Beauty, because they are taking on sort of big themes, and they're making big statements about big themes. It's easy for you to go moment to moment and sort of have a reaction as to whether or not the themes the themes that they're taking on or the way that they're taking them on is uh, is art or is pretension, right? And 
when you get the sense in a movie like that of punches being pulled, then you really have to start wondering. And I remember feeling very clearly at the time that the scene that also takes place late in the picture where Kevin Spacey is with the aforementioned high school cheerleader who is played by... Uh, and doesn't actually fuck her when she basically lays him, herself out in front of him. Yes. But suddenly, after a whole movie that's been about a guy with a midlife crisis an who's fantasizing uh, about her on the ceiling naked, about you know, covered in roses, backs himself off. I didn't believe it for a second. Yeah. And as it turns out, it's not the way it was written in the original right. draft. But... Someone who is it involved. It is a DreamWorks picture, after it all. It is a DreamWorks picture, <laughs> and let's just say <laughs> that we weren't going to have we weren't going to have Kevin Spacey actually fucking the high school cheerleader that he's been fantasizing about in that DreamWorks picture, and so they pulled back on that. And I felt you, I felt like that was a big yeah, pulled copy. punch in the theater. You know, what? in a in a year, by the way, where you have a lot of these same themes that are also being explored through the eyes of another non-American director, also in American suburbia, with themes of sexual longing, midlife crises, uh, and that movie is The Ice Storm, which Much got no yeah. real nominations to speak of. I think probably was pretty well-reviewed, grossed, you know, $2. 10 million <laughs> bucks at the box office compared to American Beauty's so $100 million, and is is clearly... The infinitely superior it's, it's, work it's on every yeah, fucking great, level, on film. every level, yeah. you know. So and does not pull away at those moments, right? It doesn't. Can, it's totally uncompromising, it is which is why it's that movie was made by Angling. Fox Searchlight, oh, yeah. I think. Right? Uh, I think it's Searchlight or Focus. Yeah. Um, but yeah, directed by Ang Lee. That's it's that's interesting, isn't interesting. it? Yeah. But the the remove of that film, I think, is really. It really works artistically in a much better way than Mendes does. I always feel like Mendes, uh, there's a distance between the content and and what he's you know playing with at any given moment. I think Road to Perdition. I really don't like that movie. I really like it in terms of how how it gets into the those the violence of that situation. It's all about you know this guy whose life is violence. And yet the violence is so, you know, beautifully, meticulously done in this film. You never right. feel it getting messy. And I think that Good he point. misses a huge, huge part of why, why we should care about that movie. I think it's a miss. Um, and I've seen it several times and increasingly have thought it's a miss. Like, huh, liked it when it came out, liked it less the second time, liked it huh. way less the third time, huh. and fourth, et cetera, seventh time. I've seen it nine times. You just feel um, that he's writing that with a heavy directorial hand. Yeah, that is that, not true. I think that I think that he's a great stylist. I'm certainly interested to see Bond. I mean, no, no joke. But um, yeah, but yeah. I mean, I think and American Beauty is one of those things where he plays it with that sort of wry, you know, black comic thing that that can be a little condescending, frankly. Whereas right. Ang Lee, there's a real pathos to it. Like it's really scary right. how cool everyone is to one another. Right. And it feels like there's a real something really being said right and cohen's back and now he wants the microphone are we, do, are we doing filmmakers now ready uh <laughs> yeah we Ter- go. Whatever, you, whatever you want to talk Terrence about Matt, you're back. Oh, no. 
Are we going back to this? <laughs> Terrence Malick. Uh, Sam Mendes, because I heard you talking about that. Yes. Thank See, you. it just inspired me. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Because I like to see movies where it's not just a shot of a fucking dude's foot walking through a field of grass for eight minutes. Right, I've made just, it ten minutes just... into the New World twenty times. Batman? I have no interest. I've seen Thin Red Line and New World kind of because I've watched <laughs> twenty minutes of both of them before my brain fucking <laughs> shut off. Did you get to Kurtz in uh, New World? No, is he in that too? Fuck, <laughs> Kurtz is in Blade Runner. Kurtz, Blade Runner. I Let me just say, Cohen's been gone pretty much this whole time since last he was off mic, and he's just back. Uh, Dear sweet podcast listeners, he just walks back in, sits down, immediately orders a mic, and I'm I'm leaning over right now, looking down at his iPhone, where the search feature, <laughs> the terms are gas station near me, because Cohen has just gone to buy himself a Snapple, <laughs> and what's in the some uh, some Keebler Troll House fudge stripes? Fudge sir. stripes. There, there's a there's a gas station right. Across I found it. Yeah, I found it. I found it. Okay, we got it. It's right there. It's a shell. So, <laughs> I thought it was going to be something way more interesting. <laughs> um, okay, what time do you need to leave for your Dodgers game, Greg Yolen? Oh, it's okay. We 15, 20 minutes. We're fine. Okay. Who are they playing tonight? So, um, I don't know. On last, uh, last <laughs> episode, we answered listener questions, and um, that proved pretty popular on our Twitter handles across the empire. And so we thought we'd do some more. Let's just bang them out real quick and as opposed to like chewing on them. Boom! And see how many of these we can cover. And by the way, if you're listening, if you're listening to the dulcet tones of my voice and you want a question answered on air, uh, just tweet us at team underscore Jack and include the hashtag TJ podcast just so they can keep it separate from all, from all the questions that are uh, getting answered on Breaking Dawn. Again, the hashtag is TJ podcast. All right, first up. From Aaron Aaron Boblet, Jack keeps hinting at what Cabin in the Woods cost on a previous episode. Is it more or less than the thirty million dollars stated on Wikipedia? Um, I really can't answer that, Aaron, because I got that from an impeccable source. But um, I will just say it's more than double that figure that you just referenced. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, from Robert Kelly, who's a frequent uh, listener and I think also a frequent liker on my Facebook page. Um, <laughs> favorite and least favorite one-sheet designs. I Ever? don't know. That's that's like a whole episode yeah, unto itself. What's your favorite movie poster of all favorite time? Favorite movie poster, Taxi Driver, hanging in my, in my, above my stairs. That's a really, really good pick. All right. Least favorite. Can you even least think of I, one? I mean, how many? There's, there's not enough data. I, I can't Let think Let me of, count the ways, yeah, right? right? Anything out today? Uh, I love the original Deco Rocketeer. The, that is a great a poster. Very that love, is a great poster. poster. And by the way, this this long wall above the couch in your apartment would look great with one of those vinyl banners. Wouldn't it indeed? Well, do you want one? Yeah. They're on eBay. Yeah. No, if no. I get one, are you well, I have the beautiful one from the anniversary last year, which is framed in my office, and I'm right. soon going to be transporting covers to this very spot. Yeah, because you know, Greg, nobody really needs a framed replica poster of the Maltese Falcon this is in their an original apartment. baby that's an original yeah sure it is I <laughs> bought it at a flea market I assume it's original <laughs> it's a very honest looking guy uh, yeah an old lady <laughs> sold it to me it has to be original what's, your, what's the last poster you remember hating um, the this last poster I remember hating boy I don't 
really even think about that. I, I think the Dark Shadows campaign was pretty lousy. Yeah, I thought yeah. the Dark Shadows posters were pretty terrible. Mirror, mirror I don't know who pretty, they were pitching that. It was pretty that bad, at. too. Mirror, mirror, mirror was, was really terrible. bad. Especially, you know what was bad about Looked that? like an ABC family. Yeah. Um, there was, a, they missed, like, the best pun of all time, right? So they have the character posters of Julia Roberts and, what's her name, Lily Collins, and Army Hammer, A-R-M-I-E, last name Hammer. Right. Okay? Uh, and his poster is an army of one, A R M Y. Why wouldn't you just do an army with A R M I E? What the fuck? <laughs> Matt Cohen, do you have any strong opinions on so-called key art movie posters uh, that you love or hate? I, I really like the Kill Bill posters. Right. Like I had like all the internationals. I think I had like thirty-five Kill Bill one sheets. That's a lot of yellow on a wall. That's a lot, lot of yellow. yellow. Um, a lot of yellow. Weirdly enough, I think my favorite might be the poster for Jabberwocky, the Terry Gilliam film, yeah, which it's is a, has a, a Jabberwocky on the yeah, poster. Yeah, but it's like a weird it? hand-drawn, it's a stylized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And the tag is uh, before uh, before the missionary, before whatever the fucking other Palin movie, before Brazil, before the missionary, but not before breakfast. Right. I don't know. Okay. I have, I've had that for a while. And one a poster that you hate? I know. You certainly seem to love to hate shit, Cohen. Every poster. Uh, <laughs> all, all the, I don't like floating head posters. So yeah. everything from so the, anything from Miramax or Dimension or in the, the 90s. late 90s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, my blockbuster days. Or the Twilight Every, Saga Breaking Dawn Part Two. Greg, shush. They're not floating. What are you talking about? I saw that. I yeah, saw they're them. Not floating they're not floating. Heads, they're oh full, yeah, they're full, they're full. Uh, vivisected heads. And now that I know about the eye code, I was like, that chick doesn't eat people. Or she does. And you told she, me about the eye does. color yeah. code. Yeah, she's yeah. She's red eyes. I she's saw the posters. Red there's red eyes, there's gold eyes. Uh-huh. And the werewolf dude don't have any he's just got he eyes. He has no eyes. No he has eyes. Brown at all. eyes like Greg Yolan. Does that mean you're a werewolf? A lot like Greg Yolan. Yeah. A Jew wolf. Um what uh what's my favorite poster? What's a poster I, I love the one sheet from Nightwing. Go on IMDB and look it up. Uh-huh. It's a canyon that forms a sort of a bat wings. I've got that in a frame. You know, we all love Jaws and stuff because, yes, it looks like a giant penis that's <laughs> heading what? up to pen- penetrate the naked what? lady who's swimming on the water line. Christy. Yes. What? Swimming. Um, what's my least favorite poster? What's a poster I've had a violent reaction to? Fuck. I don't know. I thought the campaign for the dictator was bad news bears. I really did. Yeah, and exactly. They seem to have got, the got what the they way. paid for. About, yeah. made almost as much as Battleship. About as good as the movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sim Zam, Chim Jam. Listener Ricky Adder- Adderby wants to know, uh, why do you think next to no cinemas, or certainly no cinemas anywhere near me, will be showing Prometheus in 2D? Yeah, it was shot in 3D, but it would still be nice to have an actual choice. Because, Ricky, they want you to pay the higher admission yeah. for the 3D ticket. Ricky, I, I hate to shatter your preconceptions of life on this earth, but freedom of choice is an illusion. <laughs> <laughs> and, and truly, if you think that you have any choice in the way in which you live your life, you do not. <laughs> and you will see Pro- Prometheus in IMAX 3D. And then you will die. <laughs> not like immediately. Sorry. You know, I'm actually not a fan of the Prometheus one sheets with the giant, the giant head sculpture, which reminds me of Ridley Scott's Apple, uh, famous Apple TV spot in 1984. Oh, that's right. Yeah. It's just like for a movie called Prometheus, a giant floating sword. Can we get not, some fire? A Joel Schumacher 
the giant Joel Schumacher. I think the print has been weak, but uh, you got to give it up for those trailers, man. Yeah, I do, and I do. But that was the question, was it, Greg? Well, I'm sorry, Ricky. I love you. Um, one of our team Jack girls, Kathleen Burns Vorndam. I've never really actually had to have a go at her last name. Um, her husband is a huge fan of Exorcist Three. How many other Exorcist Three fans do I have in the room right now? Steve Hedges gets it. Yet You've not see. seen it. Yet to see. Matt Cohen, no. Um, so this one's only for Steve and I. Uh, have we seen the ninth configuration, which a lot of people consider to be Exorcist Three before Blatty actually did write and direct Exorcist Three from his novel Legion? I have not seen the ninth um, configuration. And what did we think of it? I saw it. I didn't think that much of it, honestly. And I remember little or nothing about it. I'm only aware of its existence. I, I and only I can say that about so many things in my life. Yeah, I didn't even know about it until this moment. So, but I'll check it out. Yeah, the ninth, the ninth configuration, which was uh, William Peter Blatty's directorial debut. Very interesting. Um, Barbara Barbara Paleo, another team jacker, wants to know our opinion on existing movies being adapted for three D viewing. Yay or nay? <laughs> Titanic, the Star Wars, all six Star Wars oh, episodes. Nay, so- nay. Yeah. Lion King. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's a horsey they never they never pay for real a real true process now that said i have not seen titanic uh i imagine that cameron being the meticulous they paid you know i think lunatic with endless uh money that he has has probably done a pretty thorough job of it that's but does it make it doesn't make you want to go, go watch sit it. through it again yeah, right see that movie yeah they ain't shot it that way i don't, I don't want to see it because usually it's done badly Right. I mean, I, I haven't seen Titanic, but I, I, would, I, would, I would bet as well that Cameron did a pretty good job at it, even right. though he swore he never would, Right. Um, but money is a powerful factor. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's usually most of the time looks like crap. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, let's see how many more of these we can burn off. Burn them all. Burn them all! Vicky Sicolari. I probably fucked that last name. Vicky. I'm sorry, Vicky. What's everyone's favorite film score? Not including, please, the obvious titles like Star Wars, Jaws, etc., both by John Williams. A film's a favorite film score from maybe a lesser-known film or a cult favorite. Cohen? Home Alone 2, Journey, <laughs> Journey to New York. It's amazing. John Williams. That's okay. No one fucking names that one. He doesn't play that at the Hollywood Bowl when he goes to him. I wish he did. Not the first one. Home Alone 2. Lost in New York. Starring Tim Curry. That's right. Starring our friend and future podcast guest, Tim Curry. Schneider. Um, uh, I'm going to pull out of the James Horner hat, a sentimental favorite. I think it was actually the first, literally the first album I ever bought with my own money in a, in a CD store when those existed. Sneakers. Great score for a great, great movie. If I Agreed. urge you to see one movie before we reconvene, for next week's podcast, sneakers. it's sneakers. Classic. Phil Alden Robinson. Will, Phil Alden Robinson, it, who promise. adapted and directed uh, Field of Dreams from the novel Shoeless Joe. One of River Phoenix's last full movie, complete That's movies. That's right. Yeah. Great. That is a great, great, great fucking movie. Great movie. And with an amazing score. score. Yeah. Great score. Yeah. Steve Henges? I'm going to go with a James Horner piece as well, but you uh, guys are pith- one searching, for, two searching for Bobby Fisher. Great score. Great, great score, movie. too. Great score, too. In fact, Steve Henges, I'm going to write that one down because I need to get that or listen to it again. It's been a while. Uh, I'll also go with Carter Burwell for Kinsey. I will go with, I was actually thinking 
uh, of Carter's Kinsey score as well. I love that score. Um, Bobby Fisher. With a C. Yeah, I can spell that. Right, Yolen. With a C. Um, He's got a C. You know, one of my favorite film scores actually is, I'm going to keep the Carter role going, Waterland. Great score. For Stephen Gyllenhaal's movie. um, Starring Jeremy Irons and Ethan Hawke from the novel by Graham Swift. One of my favorite movies. One of my very favorite movies. and An amazing score. And by the way, the score that single-handedly led Bill to hire him for Gods and Monsters. Yeah, that score's still not available to... The, I have it, didn't I? Uh, yeah, it you, know, I, you gave it to me, but it's a bootleg copy. I know, because uh, I got it from Carter. Right, but it's, it's still not available. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that score has never been made right. commercially available, ever. Great Crazy. score. Great score. I feel compelled to throw one more in, and I'm trying to think. I just posted two tracks from Saving Private Ryan today. In honor of Memorial Day, which is when we're actually recording this uh, show. little cliche, but Nero Morricone's uh, The Mission, I think, is a great score. Great the Mission score. is great, and I will one-up you with Morricone. I could go in the more commercial direction of The Untouchables. I will veer away and go to Casualties of War, which is great Brian score. De Palma's follow-up. Amazing Morricone score. And merrily we roll along. Greg Yolen, how much time do we have left? It's 3.45. Exactly six minutes. Do we have six minutes left to hit an hour? Oh wow! Yeah, we're fine, you guys. Okay. I didn't um, even get to how much I hate the the double header of everyone in L.A. is connected movies of Magnolia and Crash. I thought, thank God, you didn't lump Grand Canyon in with that. No, no, no. I you know, Magnolia and Crash will do. Yeah, but there's no. enough hate to power a small city. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Um, what's your uh, Jack Gregson wants to know what our favorite films based on TV shows are. Um, he, and by the way, he's very uh, demanding. He wants different answers answers for direct adaptations and versus remakes. I don't even know if I can I think of a favorite movie hey, based Greg's on TV show. Hey, Greg, off. God, a favorite movie based on a TV show. Uh, recently, I loved 21 Jump Street. Yeah, you did. Loved it. Me and somebody else you know very well walked out. That's Enough said. Enough said. What else? That's a remake. That's a remake. And what's a direct adaptation? No, that's not a remake. That's not a... Oh God, I don't know so what... Confusing. I don't, I don't, I don't understand the what, question. Jack, come on, Jack. <laughs> Gregson! Gregson! <laughs> I liked uh, Serenity, which is Firefly, basically. Did it, you? It, I, I thought I loved that... It. I, it's, you know, I, I was a huge fan of the ser- TV series and the And movie. by the way, folks, if you haven't watched that TV series, Joss, and if you're a fan of the Avengers, go back and watch Joss Whedon's Firefly. It will take you one week. It's, right. It comes in a box set. It was maybe 10 episodes in the single ill-fated season uh, that then a few years later he did circle back around to and wrapped up with the feature film Serenity, which he made for Universal. Right. His, Firefly his first originally aired on Fox. Feature directorial debut. Yes, right? which yeah. cost him Wonder Woman because it was Serenity was both a critical and right. commercial disappointment. I. I think he's got a free pass now, though, right? Uh, I would say so. (laughs) He's doing all right. I would say so. Cohen, do you have any uh, TV to film? Yeah, I'm. I'm. Battlestar Galactica hasn't been made into a feature and never will. So um, I don't know. Uh. Oh God. Twilight. Is it another Twilight questions? No Twilight questions. 
All right, here's a juicy one. This is actually from last week, I think. Dan Santillo wants to know, uh, what franchises do we think have done the most damage to their brand? That's, that's a hard one. We kind of covered that a little bit last week with like the Predator franchise. Yeah. I mean, you could, before Chris Nolan and Christian Bale, you could say that Batman with the... Joe Schumacher the killed the Batman. Two Schumacher movies. Yeah. Tool Schumacher? Two Schumacher. Two, two Schumacher. Two shot. That, you've just, those are three different Jewish holidays. <laughs> two Schumacher is... We built and we hang... Jew lamps. Um, but there are nipples. It, you know, it nipples on, on the bat suits. <laughs> it depends on your definition. Not a, not of a damage, shining moment because I would certainly say nothing beats Star Wars. Uh, but Good point. that's true. But Good point. the prequel that trilogy still continues to make money. So in that sense, it is not a failure. It is right. actually quite a success. Right. Um. I, you know the latter Star Trek movies. There, by the time they got down to like. Nemesis Insurrection. They that was all pretty bad. Well, bad news bears. It's true. Yeah, Police Academy had great potential in the early. Films. Well, here's the qu- the question is: by the time we hit Labor Day, let's you know. Of course, we won't remember to circle back around unless um, I think it was Greg asked us or no, uh, Dan asks us again. Um, but which franchises will have done the most damage to their brand come Labor Day? Not Dark Knight. No. Not Alien. Men in Black Three's a hit. Spider Man. Men in Black Three's okay. Sp- Spider Man's could be a could be a flop or a disappointment. Yeah. It I feels know. like the possible speed racer. Are we gonna yeah. Find out about G.I. Joe for another fucking headline? <laughs> no, they pushed the date. Yeah, by nine months. Yeah, <laughs> They're gonna reshoot it from start from the from the beginning. I know so many people who worked on that movie. A lot of our crew from uh, from Twilight. Twilight down in Louisiana, went straight on to G.I. Joe. Also shot in Baton Rouge in or Bat- New Orleans. Uh, in New Orleans. Why yeah. are they, what's, are they, what's the reason for the move? Or what are they saying is the reason for the move? Oh, yeah. I'll tell you what the truth is, though, and I feel like this has already been out there. They had a really, really, really bad test screening. And the other thing about that test screening is, uh, in the notes at the end, two of the questions were, uh, did you like Channing Tatum in the film, and would you like more of Channing Tatum in the film? So what everyone thinks is now is, is big part of the reshoots are going to be putting him into the fucking movie. I don't know. I never, I don't, I think I saw maybe 15, 20 minutes of Steven Summers' first G.I. Joe movie. I didn't really see the rest. Maybe the Kurt? Tiffany Kurtz. Gary Kurtz. Um, Here's, uh, this one is for you, Steve. You ready? Longtime listener, Greg Daniels. Would like to know, how could the dictator have such a great production team and a funny cast but fail so miserably? Because when you start to believe your own hype and there's no one around you to say, are you sure that's a good idea? (laughs) (laughs) Greg, did you actually see the dictator? I did, yeah. And? Um, I laughed at it. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and and I also think that in pretty much every way in which that movie could have been really great, it really wasn't. Right. It 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 was you know talk about like pulling punches. 
That's a you know what are you afraid that like Gaddafi's going to come after you for insulting him in a movie? It was just like by the end of it, it's like you you had this great satire or a great you know potential for a satire, and uh, right. and instead you've made a movie with fart jokes and like lesbian armpit shaving yeah. jokes. It was just like why why did you make that movie? Why was that the movie you made? Right. What were you afraid of? Right. Greg, I'm going to throw one last one to you. Ready? And it's Breaking Dawn related. If it's Gregson. If it's that Jack Gregson. <laughs> no, it's Joel Emmett. Sounds like a Jack Gregson <laughs> pseudonym to me. All right, here's the question. Ready? Wait, a man is asking a Twilight question. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's right. Wow. Joel Emmett. How are themes slash messages, and by the way, we prefer not to use that term, Joel messages. If I want a message, I'll call Western Union is the famous Hollywood adage. How are themes... Uh, how are themes handled in film production are they the point of the whole effort or are they basically ignored with a focus just on telling the story for instance what themes will be emphasized in breaking dawn part two why how that's a chewy nightmare of a question (laughs) (laughs) from the top how are themes and messages handled in film production are they the point of the whole effort or are they basically ignored with a focus just on telling the story, for instance, what themes will be emphasized in BD2? Why? How? It's all in the script, mm-hmm. which in the case of Twilight starts with the novel by Stephanie Meyer, then is adapted into the script by Melissa Rosenberg, who works closely, very closely with uh, Bill Condon, who is no stranger to screenwriting, uh, particularly adaptive screenwriting. Wrote some, yeah. And the themes that are emphasized on Breaking Dawn Part Two, uh, none of which is really going to get us into trouble with Summit. I don't. No, think. No, I mean it's think? all it's all the stuff from the book, and you know it's it's about if you read the novel. Yeah, uh, it's it's motherhood, it's responsibility, it's you know uh, fear and anxiety of losing your family and and the things that you have. I mean, I, I think that to an extent, all of that is borne out over uh, you know your design and your. Uh, you know, certainly the scripting process and directing the performances, all that stuff. So, yes, there's a focus on it, um, but... But it has to infuse every single aspect of a movie. It's not just one... Right. You don't... It doesn't show up on location one morning in the back of a dump truck, and then the dump truck backs up and dumps it onto the set, and there's yes, the theme. There's no theme infusion day. Um, <laughs> you know, I think... What about Mr. Infusion on the top of your DeLorean? I think a lot of it is done, actually, in pre-production, where you're making sure that, that the small choices that you make are reflective of the larger, uh, you know, logic. Ambition. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, what, and what you're hoping for. And then sometimes you get onto set, and you realize that those things that you were you know going to try to express one way really don't work that way or aren't important that way or you figure out a better way to do it and things change so right um that that's the you know the skill of a director is to see like how they're able to keep their eye on the ball as they're juggling many balls and steve henges do you want to speak quickly to this given that greg ellen has to go to a dodgers game but steve henges has actually directed movies all i will say is Whatever. a lot of times yeah you a mess a theme is is in the script and it's in the execution and then i know of i was talking to a director the other day who has a big hollywood film coming out this holiday season with Would lots like? of i'm not gonna say what the movie is but is it baz lerman no it's baz lerman. Uh, lots is of it academy Peter Jackson? hold on lots of academy award winners and nominees in the cast big production value lerman. it's lerman and <laughs> they have as he said to me before we before poker game we've stripped away all of the character stuff and gone straight with the action 
because the, the, the studio doesn't want all the buildup and the themes and the, the what movie yeah, is they, he talking about? We'll, we'll talk about it after the podcast. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, I don't want to be kicked out of the poker next, game. <laughs> I'll come back next week without Steve Hentges here, and I will tell you all who he's referring to. Um, well, yeah. So what my point is is that sometimes it, those themes and get cut out at some point because right. somebody you know they can't market it the right way, or maybe the director missed it. Um, didn't quite right. capture it the way it was on the page. Every movie is always, always, every movie, every single movie is a different story. Yeah. Every single movie Absolutely. is and a it, different it, story. It has so many different lives. It's a life when it's on, a, on the page. It's a life when it's casted. It's a li- It's something different when it's shot. And then it becomes something different when it's cut together. It yeah. keeps evolving into something different each yeah. day, all, throughout the entire process. Absolutely. Before elements that it can't control start to have an effect on it, like as we started this podcast, hype. Right. Which then dictates how Mac cohen dictates at least in part how matt cohen is going to feel about something before he even deigns to watch it yeah. right depends on how much how much uh hype he's had rammed down his throat yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um i think that gets us through this week and are we at an hour then cohen all right yeah. on twitter jack underscore morrissey uh on facebook Team Jack, look for the Kyle Cummings illustration on Twitter. Also, Team underscore Jack on Twitter. Steve Henges, five states. You have the number five in there? Yeah, number five, yeah. Number five and then the word states. Right, Stephen Henges, five easy. states. Yeah. That's the name of your production company, right? Correct. Right, Stephen Henges, H-E-N-T-G-E-S. Right. Greg Yolen on Twitter never tweets. What's the fucking point? It's un- it lo- underscore Greg underscore... <laughs> Y underscore O underscore underscore at underscore. I didn't tweet until I started getting followers from this show. So now I feel obligated to redesign. I redesigned my my Twitter page. Oh, good for you. Because of these these listeners. So good for you. you. And interact with them regularly. I, they will, like I will do my best. Um, Matt Cohen is always Camel Toad at Camel Toad. Underscore. Uh, we're on Tumblr. I think it's Team Jack FTW. And we also have a blog at teamjack.com. I think that's it. Yeah. It's crazy, dude. There's a whole (laughs) empire that's growing every single day while you sit at your little desk and answer phones from Mr. Condon. I'm out there growing the empire by every single day. You're all fools. Fools! (laughs) (laughs) That's it for episode 32. Right? All right. Here comes the closing credits. Out. This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio.